All right. Well, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 9. If you're just joining us here for the first time, we're going through the book of Genesis. Um, and we are up to chapter 9. We'll get through all of chapter 9. The title is Life in the New World. So what's happened? The entire world has just been flooded. God created the world. It was a, a sphere that hung in space full of water. Um, he created dry ground. That dry ground displaced that water, presumably pressed it into the, to the crust of the earth. Um, and the beautiful uh, animals and creation was, was, was put on this planet. Man sinned and rebelled. The wickedness got so bad that God flooded the earth. And it's like that, all that water that he had pushed down into the earth came out again, covered the earth again. And now as we are into chapter 8 and now 9, they're coming off of the ark into a new world. And what is life going to be like? So we begin um, in verse 1. But actually a few other things. Just I'm not going to dive into these. I just alert you to this. Maybe you can do some of your own studying. Maybe you can even find some more. But just in just a couple of minutes of thought to this, really, we see some interesting parallels between Genesis chapter 1 um, and 2, well, I guess 3 as well, and then also some of the, the, the life in the new world that has just been um, flooded. Um, we see that there is uh, some eating prohibitions. Now, diet change is going to happen. We're going to read about that first. Um, but there's going to be uh, uh, some prohibitions in eating, just like there was with Adam and Eve. Um, we see that there's going to be a rebellious son, just like they had one with Cain. Uh, Noah's going to have a rebellious son. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they rebelled against the Lord, they realized that they were naked and their shame and their sin was before them. And they made fig leaves and the Lord eventually um, got an animal and covered them. But it in chapter 9, we're going to see again this, this shame of nakedness that's going to come here into the family of Noah. Um, and yeah, and we're going to just see the value of human life. Let's begin reading there at verse 1. It says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air. On all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So I gave you the green herbs. Now I'm giving you um, every moving thing. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So, got this interesting commandment, right, that, about the animals. So, first of all... You know, he doubles down and says, repopulate the earth. Um, and here we sit today as descendants, uh, one form or another. Uh, every one of us has descended from either Shem, Ham, or Japheth, um, Noah's sons. Um, the entire earth, where can you go where you're not going to find people? And where can you go that you're not going to find an animal or bird or fish or at least a creeping thing, right? I mean, there, the Lord has been so gracious to... Uh, this world to allow mankind to repopulate, to allow the animal kingdom to repopulate, and to, to just have all of this to enjoy. It is a grace of God. When, Noah, when God was about to judge the world, he says, but, it, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And we see that grace, even that we are, there are other people on planet Earth, that there is a, even an Earth to be inhabited. So he says to repopulate it. It happens. But then he says, 
I'm going to change your diet. You now cannot just eat green herbs. You now can eat animals as well. But they're going to be afraid of you. And um, that is, that's pretty much true. You ever tried to go up and pet a fish? You ever go to try and pet a bird? Other than maybe your, you know, your pet? I mean, you don't do that, right? You go just up in the woods and try and you know, pet a, a deer? Yeah, it doesn't work that way. These things are scared of you. They run away from you. Because the Lord's like told him, say, your food, you're on the menu, be afraid. Be very afraid of these guys. Run as fast as you can, crawl up trees, go on the grounds, do what you can, go over the mountaintops, run for your life. And so God was giving them this, this grace um, to, to be able to get away from us. And um, so this is what, you know, the Lord has, has done. But it makes you wonder what the relationship was like before that. So he says, I'm going to put dread in them. What was there before? Uh, obviously, there was a, a, just a, a friendly um, relationship that existed between the animal world and, and mankind. I mean, Adam and Eve, certainly the animals would come to them and they would name them. The Adam and Eve, uh, Noah and his family had the animals come and they put them on the ark and they spent over a year on the ark together. No incident recorded, right? So, I mean, it would have been a different world. Mankind did not eat animals. Animals did not eat mankind. And everybody ate plants. And so that's the way it was. But now after the flood, um, it's going to be different. I I don't have a great explanation for why. It just is. Um, Some people said, well, maybe the nourishment was different, you know, in the the new world. I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's got to be a better explanation than that. But I don't have one for you. It just states it as a fact that this is the way it is. But it says, but you shall not eat uh, with its life. I shall not eat the flesh with its life. That is, its blood. So you're to have a, a respect for life. And you should not be eating its blood. So what's being talked about here? Um, is this um, a, a statement that, you know, you know, what is it, black pudding? Is that it? I think that's it, yeah. Don't ever eat that. I'm just saying. You can do it if you want to. I'm just saying, don't do it. But, you know, is it referring to something like that? Or is is this referring, is there something other element? It's interesting in Acts that it says that you shall not eat the blood which was connected with idolatry. So maybe maybe there's some kind of element here. But anyways, there's this prohibition. I'll just read to you a quote. It says, adding meat to the human diet is not a license for savagery. Nose descendants and are predators on the top of the food chain. However, as animals are not to eat human beings after a carnivorous fashion, so human beings must show proper respect for life as a sacred thing. Furthermore, the blood of animals would be important in, the most, in most of the mosaic sacrifices, so the blood must be treated with reverence. So don't treat this as a common thing. The blood is going to have a high... Um, uh, purpose in in worship to cover us eventually the lamb of god is going to come and he's going to shed his blood so he's teaching them to value that and that life is in the blood and so they repopulate the earth they have a different relationship with the animal kingdom and the menu changes verses five through seven it says surely while we're talking about blood surely for your life blood i will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast, I will require it. And you see that in the law of Moses, by the way. We'll get to it eventually. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. 
Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So again, repopulate the earth. When God first created man, it was a perfect world, and there was one limiting factor. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's all that was said. But we realize that man quickly fell into sin, and as man fell into sin, other sins came with it. Like, most notably, Cain's taking of his brother's life, Abel. Abel was worshiping God, and that worship sacrifice was received by the Lord, and he honored it. But Cain's sacrifice was not received by the Lord. There was something in it that it was not right. His heart was not right. And rather than repenting and just offering a sacrifice that he knew how to offer, he actually decided, well, I'll just kill my brother. That way, you don't have to worry about somebody outdoing me in the worship arena. Totally misses the whole picture of it, doesn't he? What happens to him? Is he immediately, is capital punishment enforced? No, there's no such thing as that. And so he is exiled from his family and goes off. And yet now the Lord says, if this happens in the future, the result is life for life. Now this isn't talking about accidents. This isn't talking about something maybe that happens in war. This, isn't, this is like homicide. This is murder. And the Lord says, when that happens, I'm going to require life for life. And what is the reason for it? It's in verse 6. For in the image of God he made man. You know, if we could just get this one thing down, do you know how many problems it would solve? If we would understand that you and me and us and them, that we're all made in the image of God? Because when I, when I worship God and I have a right relationship with Him, then I'm going to have a reverence for the things that He has a reverence for. And He reveres human life. Now, I don't mean worship, I mean just regards it. He respects it. And when I am close to God, I too will regard life. And I'm not going to want to take somebody's life. And this was the problem that was going on in the days of Noah. There was violence and it filled the earth. It doesn't sound so different than our days, does it? And you can look back, and I mean, even at, at any given time in human history, you can see corrupt, wicked people that get in power and have influence over, and they'll wipe out whole groups of people because they don't like the way they look, or because their ear's too long, or their nose too big, or their skin's not the right color, or any other ridiculous reason. And millions of people, wrong ethnicity, taken off of this planet. And the Lord says, I require that. Now, you know, the reality is this. Some people may never have to face the consequences in this life. But if the Lord is going to require it of an animal, I guarantee you he's going to require it of another human being who has the ability to know the difference and to reason through this. So human life is valued. When God created man, he formed him from the dry ground and he was created in the image of God. He was not God but he was created and fashioned in the image of God. When we read in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah, and he's putting him into ministry, and he says, listen, Jeremiah, I knew you while you're still in your mother's womb. I formed you. It's the same, that word for form is the same Hebrew word that's used when God formed Adam from the dry ground. 
it, you, a child and conception, it is certainly a, a physical, the results of a physical act. But it's not purely a physical act. Because in that process, somewhere God is involved in putting the image of God upon that life that is, that is growing and is forming. And so he says to Jeremiah, he says, I knew you in your mother's womb. You know, I've mentioned the genocide and murder and all the rest. But you know, one thing that I think we got to look at is here at God at the beginning of the new world says, let me tell you what's really, really important to me. Human life is important to me. And you need to value it. You need the value of it in animal. You need the value of it with humans. Certainly, a child in the womb can fall somewhere in that spectrum between a human life and an, an animal, right? It's human. But if you are like, well, no, it's not. Well, it, even, even animals are regarded. How can we get to the place where we think that a child in the womb is, number one, not human and, and, and doesn't need to be protected? It is made by God. He forms in the womb. And they're formed in the image of God, in the image of Him. And to attack the image of God, image bearers, obviously the Lord finds this as a great offense against Himself. It's one of the great tragedies that goes on in this country and around the world, and that's little babies, little lives are taken every day, and they are not valued. Listen, I've been pastoring here for 26, and I've never got up and said anything political, but I do talk about this. And I just would say, let this be in your mind when you think about the type of people, the kinds of justices, the kind of politicians, the kinds of parties that are going to be put into place. It's not the only issue, but it is an important one. It is an issue that God says here at the beginning of the new world, let me tell you what's important to me. You value human life. And we need to do that. And I realize there might be other issues that are in your mind you think are important, and I wouldn't dispute that, but... Human life is at the top of the list. So, pray about that. Think about that. But I want to say this to, I'm not naive. In, you know, three services, people listening on the radio, I know that some of you have encouraged or you've been a part of maybe having an abortion. And I I want you to know there is complete and total forgiveness for you. And if this is something that has been in your past, and it torments you, let me, let me tell you something. You can come and you can find grace in the sight of God. You can repent of that like a person can repent of any sin. And you can ask the Lord to forgive you. And where sin abounds, grace abounds what? More. Much more. There is grace for you. And that's not just a throwaway line to move on to the next subject. There's real grace for you. There is real forgiveness for you. And you need to come to the throne of grace and you need to find it and you need to receive it and you need to be liberated from that. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So, no stones in my pocket. But we certainly can do both. We can value human life and we can have grace for those who have made a sinful error in this way. All right, let's move on. Verses 8 through 17. God makes a covenant with Noah. And I think we're already getting a taste of that covenant in some of these verses that preceded it. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. It's binding to certain commitments. 
So there's these commitments. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. Now you could, you could, typically what you would have is these covenants would be made just out in the regular world from the greater to the lesser. So this king over here would have these subjects here, and he would enter into a covenant and a treaty with them. But you know what was always common about those treaties, those covenants? The greater was always the one that was getting the payoff. They always made certain that the covenant was written in such a way that they were going to be the beneficiaries. Now, there would be something to the, those people. Maybe they got a, an element or a piece. But they were not written to be a blessing to the other people. It was written to be a blessing to the greater, but not so with the covenants of God. God puts covenants in place that he might bless people. The greater to the lesser. And we're not going to look at all the covenants today, but just know that Noah, uh, God makes a covenant with Noah and the world and the animals in the world, with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Moses. He makes a covenant with Israel concerning their land. He makes a covenant with King David. He makes a new covenant, and we will look at that one in Jeremiah 31 in just a moment. But these are some of the covenants that are made in Scripture. Agreements between two parties. The greater God making an agreement with us. Who is he that he should have to do that? Why does he have to make any agreement at all? I mean, what, what is he going to lose if he doesn't make an agreement with us? Doesn't make a covenant with us. God's covenants are opportunities for his grace and mercy and blessing to flow through. And we all should be amazed at God's making of a covenant with us. It truly is amazing. But let's read about this covenant that he makes with Noah, verse 8. Then God said to Noah, to his sons, with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you. Of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my bow, my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud. And I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all that is on the earth, of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The covenants would always have a seal. They would have a sign. There would be a way, there would be a physical reminder of the, the agreement that was entered in. So for Abraham, it's circumcision, right? And for Noah and the world, it is this rainbow. So if you think of it as just take out the rain, because it's the same Hebrew word as bow, a weapon of war. And God basically, after the flood is over, says, boom, I'm hanging up my, my bow. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to destroy this world. Not that he is repenting. God does not repent. He does not sin. 
All of his ways are true and righteous altogether. Let God be true and every man a liar. He always does the right thing. But God says, that's not going to happen again. I will never flood this world again and destroy all of mankind in this way. Now listen, Revelation 6 through 19, there is another judgment that's coming upon this earth. But it's not going to wipe out all of mankind and it's not going to wipe out all of the animal world and it's not going to be with a flood that he brings judgment. So the Lord is promising something and he says, and you can know this is true and you can know that I have humbled myself and made this covenant with you because when you look out into the sky and you see that bow of many colors, you know that I'm saying I'm not going to do that. Now, listen. Next time you see a rainbow, I want you to stop and say, God made that covenant with me. And all of us that are driving by it right now. And he's saying, my word is true. And has God, since the days of Noah, has God flooded this world and destroyed all things? No, he hasn't. So God is faithful in his covenants. When he promises something, it is true. It can be, you can go to the bank on it. You can, you can count on it that he's going to be faithful in this way. You know, the LGB, uh, QT, I get too many letters. Um, they have taken this sign as a symbol of their organization. But they've misappropriated it. Amen. It's not theirs. Right. It's God's. Right. It's theirs in the sense that they are a person on this earth. And God said, I make a covenant with all of mankind and all of creation. I'm not going to destroy it. But not to be a symbol of their agenda and their lifestyles. I, I think it is tragic that's happened. And, and don't give it up. <laughs> the, the rainbow is God's sign. And it's a, it, it really, to me... I'm not going to say anything more. It's just kind of ironic. It's a bow in the sky that says, I'm not going to judge anymore. And that people would want to take that and run and live however they want to in the face of God seems like a very dangerous thing to do. Amen. So this is the promise that God made. But there are these other covenants that God has made. And I just want to look at Jeremiah 31, 31 with you real quick. Because this is a covenant that we also enter into. Now listen, we're not part of the Abrahamic covenant. You know, we're not part of the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant. I mean, these are for the nation of Israel. Most of us are Gentiles in here. Jeremiah 31, though, is a covenant that we get to touch. It is ours. Now, what you need to know is the new covenant is in existence right now, but it was originally given to the nation of Israel. We get to enter into that. We are grafted into the, to the promises and the covenants of God and this is one of the covenants, be thankful, that we get to enter into with the nation of Israel. Now, listen, Israel, for the most part, does not acknowledge this covenant and, the, and how it has come to them through Jesus. One day they will, though, and we'll read of it. As Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes, he's prophesying of a future covenant that Jesus established. But let's read. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more. 
Shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. And here's this closing great line. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So covenant made with Noah. I'm not going to flood the world. That's a covenant that still we are a part of. But the new covenant is another covenant. It's another agreement that the greater literally came down to the earth and a human body to make with us. And Jesus took on a human body that he could go to the cross, that his body could be broken, that his blood could be shed, that the iniquity of our hearts, the sin could be removed, that we could be made clean. And Luke 22, verse 20, as Jesus established uh, at the Passover meal, the communion service, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. This cup that you're drinking is my blood shed for the remission of sin. And so we have the implements of the communion service. Again, this coming Wednesday night, we'll, we'll, we'll take of that. We have these emblems that remind us of the covenant. It's not a rainbow. It's the bread and the cup. That we've entered into a covenant. And as we eat of it and we drink it. And I love the fact that the Lord gave a sign and a seal to the covenant that touches our senses. Do you know what I mean? To be able to put it in my mouth and to taste it and to crunch it. To, to put the cup and to drink from it and taste the sweetness and yet the bitterness of it. That it hits our senses and it is able to remind us of the covenant. What the Lord did for us on the cross. Now if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of the new covenant. Israel's going to come into this, but it'll be at the last days that that will happen. But who is God that he should humble himself? The greater coming down and saying, let me make a covenant. Let me make an agreement with you. I'll do everything for you. Just believe that I did it for you. That's what he requires from us, right? It's just that we would have faith. That he hung and he died on the cross for our sins. And if you have not done that, put your faith and trust in Jesus today. You already know you're a sinner, just like we all know we're sinners. We all know that we're separated from God because of our sin. Come to him. Let him wash you and make you clean. Again, Jeremiah 31, verse 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's beautiful. And you can walk in that freedom You can walk knowing that God doesn't remember your error and your sin and your rebellion, but that's covered through the blood of His Son. So God makes covenants with mankind. And here's one, and I just wanted to at least bring that one up as we we thought about covenants. In the coming weeks, we're going to spend a lot lot more time in covenants and, and talk about them and what makes up a biblical covenant and so forth. But just a little touch of it here. So, takeaway point, next time you see a rainbow, consider the faithfulness of God to His Word, His commitment to you, to enter into a covenant with you. But now let your mind go to the greater covenant that He has given you, His Son, to cover you. And who is man that He would be mindful of us? Worship the Lord when you see that rainbow. Thank Him that He comes and humbles Himself. And He would deal with us in such a fashion. All right, we come to this last section of Scripture, and if you never read this before, get ready. It's a little weird. And 
some of the interpretations, and I am not going to belabor these. I'm just going to let you know they're out there. Um, some of the interpretations are even stranger yet. But there, there is something in this passage when we see this failure in the family of Noah, particularly with his son Canaan and his grandson, I mean his son Ham and his son, uh, grandson Canaan. It does seem like there's something else that's at work here, but the text is silent about it. Therefore, where the text is silent, I think we would be wise to be careful before reaching any kind of definitive statements. Let's read this together. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. The Canaanites, right? The ones that are going to get displaced when the children of Israel come out of Egypt. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years old, and he died. So Noah gets drunk and ends up being uncovered, lying naked in his tent. Now, I mean, none of us want to hear this story about Noah, right? I mean, it's like you, every time you read it, you're like, oh, Noah, what are you doing? Why did you do that, you know? And that, nobody likes to read this story. And it's a failure. Now, the Bible doesn't say, say, come out and say, and, you know, some kind of condemnation of him. But we know what the Scripture says about drunkenness. It's not wrong that he drank, and it's not wrong that he was a vine dresser. I mean, some people are just, they, they can't, the idea that you know, Noah got drunk, they, they got to find out a good reason. They say, well, actually what happened is after the flood, the fermentation process was different, and he didn't realize at his first harvest, which it doesn't say, that it was going to have this impact upon him. Yeah, I don't buy that. If there's anybody on planet Earth at this point in time who should have known that when you ferment these uh, grapes is going to turn into alcohol, it would have been this guy. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of wisdom here. There's a lot of years of knowledge. So there's no indication that things didn't ferment beforehand. It's just trying to find a way to deal with that uneasy feeling we have with this story. But that's the least of the problems, really, when you think about it. But you know, Noah ends up in this situation, in a compromised situation. It's a shameful thing. He's dishonored. I mean, think about it. Here we are thousands of years later, and we're reading about this in his life. I mean, that, that says something. But I want us to, and listen, it's a challenge to draw some application out of here, okay? So work with me. But it's that indiscretion, it's that unwillingness to walk circumspectly that ends up getting him in trouble. He knows that he shouldn't become drunk. 
This is something that certainly he would have been aware of. There's a conscience that God has given him. And it would bear witness of those things that were right and those things were wrong. But he fails to walk circumspectly. He lets his guard down. The greatest man on planet earth. Noah. Everybody else dies, but you get to stay alive because you are righteous. And this guy is falling. Has fallen, excuse me. This guy finds himself... And this most embarrassing, compromised situation. And I just would say to each of us, not to you, us, we must walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Why? The days are evil. The things are stacked against us. There's so much opportunity for failure to come in. And you can talk about this one subject of alcohol. No, listen, I'm not going to try and, and, and preach a message and say, listen, it wasn't fermented then and just something went wrong in the process. And even Jesus, when he turned the water into wine, it wasn't alcohol either. It was just really, really good grape juice. I mean, the Bible does not say that. It says the exact opposite. Jesus was not accused of being a Welch's grape juice drinker. He was accused of being a wine bibber. Which is not true. So alcohol was permissible. And actually, the, the vineyard it was counted as a blessing from God to the people of Israel. So I'm not going to say you can't. But we must be wise. We must be wise. And if you don't walk in wisdom, and if you're not careful, you can find yourself in a position like this. I've, I, I, know, I know pastors who have gotten themselves in a situation where they drank more than they were supposed to. Driving home, get pulled over, and now they get a DUI. That's a problem. That's a big problem in the church. I mean, I don't mean like it's happening all over. I'm just saying, that's a problem for that guy. And watching what happens and how they deal with it. Oh, there's grace for that. And, you know, we can, we can work with that. But I tell you, this is, this is a reason why, one of the reasons why I, I don't. The priests weren't supposed to drink alcohol when they were engaged in the act of serving the Lord. So for me, and I've asked those on staff as well, and the elders, is not to do that because it's like, when are we not going to be involved in serving? This is what you don't want to happen. Well, Pastor Troy, something just happened. Can you please come over to my house? Oh, sorry about that. I just drank my last beer, and I think I'm over the legal limit right now. I would love to come help and serve you, but better off. You don't want to hear me say that. I don't want to say that. And so I, I just I limit myself for that reason. Not because the Bible says you can't, I just don't want to be there. And if you, many of you have chosen for other reasons as well not to do that. But many of you would say that you have that freedom. I'm not here to undermine that. I'm not here to try and change your mind. I'm just saying you need to know what you're dealing with. Amen. It's something that can have in a moment, can turn your whole life around. So walk carefully. Walk cautiously. And if you're like, well, yeah, I know what you're saying, because like, it seems like every time I drink, I get drunk. Well, what time out here? <laughs> this is not a liberty for you, and you don't have the wisdom to know how to deal with this. You need to stop drinking. I don't mind saying that. It's, it's wrong to become drunk. And if you keep getting drunk with this, or it happens frequently... You don't have the wisdom to know how to walk with that liberty. Oh, it's my liberty. Not if it's got you in bondage, it's not a liberty. If it's holding you down and bringing you into a place where you are compromised in your faith, no. The Bible says to be filled with the Spirit, not to be drunk with wine. And so you need to back off. 
You need to let go of that and not have that freedom. And I could give you, I mean, listen, I, there's a lot. I've got a lot of personal opinions on that. I'm not going to share them today. But I am telling you what I feel confident in the Word of God to say and to talk about. And I'll just, one last thing. If alcohol is something you get defensive about and you've got to have it and you get a little uptight when the subject comes up, why? Why? I, I don't get defensive. I mean, if you, you want to you know, start making accusations against, you know, coffee, I like coffee, but I'm not going to get defensive about it. You know, iced tea, you know, whatever it might be. Why is it just this one beverage that we get so passionate about? I would say, if that's the case, examine your heart and see if it really is just a liberty for you. And I'm not saying that those of you who do, don't. And don't hide your bottle of wine if you see me in the store or throw your under the table if you're at the restaurant. I've seen you do it. Don't do it, okay? I mean, you don't have to do that, all right? Or back more like, why do they do that? You know, I, it's okay. I mean, you know, if I see you drunk, I'm going to call you to repentance and show you love. Okay, so walk in wisdom. But that's not the only area, right? There's plenty of areas where we need to be circumspect. There's plenty of areas where we need to walk wisely. The days are evil. So Noah's seen by, by Ham. Ham thinks it's a big joke. He makes fun of it. He brings his brothers in to take a look. They're like, uh, nah. <laughs> I don't think we want to do that. They walk in backwards, the robe, and they cover their dad. 1 Peter 4.8, above all things, have fervent love for one another. What does fervent love look like? For love will cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. These guys are a perfect example of what it is to cover Somebody in their, in their failure, in their sin, in, their, uh, in a moment where they weren't walking in wisdom. They cover them up. And this is what we need to do. Which person are you most like? Are you most like Shem and Japheth that you're going to be quiet about it and you're going to cover it? Or are you more like Ham where you're going to talk about it and reveal it and expose? We need to be like Shem and Japheth. Being, being discreet. You cover up sin? No, 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 not cover up sin. You go, you rebuke them privately, you call them to repentance, and you seek to restore them, and you bear that load with them. Help them get over that. But you don't have to tell everybody about it. And it's like, well, it's true. Well, it was true that Noah was drunk and naked, but they still didn't want to expose it. Gossip is not gossip only if it's a lie. That's slander. <laughs> okay? Gossip can be reporting the truth. But these guys, they didn't want to expose it. It was their father. It was a shameful thing. It was a dishonorable thing. And the Lord took it quite serious. And so when Noah wakes up, he realizes what's gone on. And he says, all right, Ham, my son, who shamed me, your father, your son, is going to bring shame. He's, Cursed be Canaan. Now, Canaan was a descendant, was a son of Ham. Was Canaan involved in this with his father in some way? Possibly. We don't know. But at the very least, there is consequences upon um, Ham and one of his descendants. One of his descendants, and this descendant is named here as Canaan. What went on here? Was it simply as we read here in the text, drunk, uncovered, mocked, 
showed dishonor. And that's what we're left with. But I just, I just will say this so that you're not surprised by it. I'm not going to go into the, the, the pros and cons of it. But here are some of the ideas of what people have given for what actually, they would say, happened with Ham and Canaan. One, the rabbis claim that Ham um, uh, castrated his father while he was asleep. Okay, I don't know where you get that, but that's what they say. So they did this so he couldn't have a fourth son. Um, then others have claimed this or was it some kind of homosexual act and abuse that went on. Others have said that it was he uh, looked upon the nakedness of his father. Um, he derived some sexual pleasure out of this or that um, maybe he even had relations with Noah's wife. Listen, all those things are like really unsavory and we won't talk about them anymore than to say that's not what the text says. Now, some will say, well, wait a minute, it says his nakedness was uncovered. And in Scripture, if you uncover the nakedness of somebody, that was a sexual act. That's true. But we don't read that Ham uncovered the nakedness of Noah. We read that he got drunk and he became uncovered, right? And so it's not that that is a sign to him. So I think we got to be really cautious here before going down that road. And listen, I'm not going to debate about it. I mean, if you think that's the case, that's fine. It doesn't really change much. We need to show honor. We need to show respect no matter what. But the Canaanites, the Canaanites become the people that are the descendants of Canaan on whom the curse is put. Noah prophesies and says, your family is going to be servants. And indeed they were. You can read Genesis 14, Joshua 9 to find two examples of where, and there are many more, two examples, Genesis 14, Joshua 9, where the Canaanites were serving their brothers. And the Canaanites, though, become such a perverse people. So perverse are the descendants of Canaan that God will destroy them and their descendants because their wickedness is so great. And that's what happens when the children of Israel leave Egypt and they come into the land and they dispossess the Canaanites. It's also what is a strong motivation in the book um, in, in the Law of Moses, as you read through the Law of Moses, Leviticus and, and um, uh, Exodus, and, and probably a little bit in every one of the books, but a lot of the laws and prohibitions that are put in place are, sound like this, and don't become like the people who inhabit the land that you're going to possess. Don't become like them. This is what they're like. Don't become like that. So they become this kind of scourge before the eyes of the Lord. But what you must know is that God was so patient with them. This wasn't until much later, right? I mean, we're still very early in history. It's not until uh, the days of uh, Joshua that they're coming in to dispossess them out of the land. And, and so they are eventually dispossessed. But God waited 400 years, it says in Scripture, for them to repent. That's a long time. Can you imagine being patient for 400 years? I mean, some of his four minutes is about all you got. 400 years he waited for this people to repent, and they did not. And they became darker and more evil, and they were offering up their children and sacrifices. And there was all kinds of sexual perversity that was going on, and they were turning away from God. And the Lord says, that is enough violence. These people will be judged. And God uses the Israelites to do that. 
for the, the wickedness that's there. So, that's a, so the Canaanites are introduced to us. And now, you know, for those that would have been reading this for the first time, it would have been helpful for them to know, oh, Canaan came from Noah. Okay, the Can- Oh, and there was a curse that went back all the way to the days of, of Ham um, and, and Noah. So this is what's going on. So we, as we leave here, some takeaways. Actually, I'm sorry. I want to say one more thing. I did every other service. So I want to just say this too. A bad interpretation that has been inserted into this text um, is that this, when we read about Canaan being a servant, that that is why um, the African slave trade was in place and why some would go on to say why it's even okay, that the curse was that, Cain, that the descendants of Ham would be dark-skinned. Now, some of the descendants of Ham are dark-skinned African Ethiopians. The Canaanites were not. But people will say, look at this. See, see this curse right here has come upon them? And they say that the curse is dark skin. The curse is not dark skin. The curse is you're going to be a servant to your brothers. That's what's coming upon them. Because of the sin of Ham and maybe Canaan involved in some way. That's the reason why. Light skin, dark skin is not a blessing or a cursing. It is just God's creative range of color. But people will come and have gone in the past and say, well, you see, the curse came upon Ham's descendants, one descendant, and that descendant was not dark skin. So, but this is what some self-seeking people and self-serving people said so they could justify the slave trade, the buying and selling of dark-skinned people. And this is how they got away with it. It's shameful. It should have never happened. It's not a trick question, because if you just read the next chapter, you find out all of the descendants of Ham. And it becomes quite clear that they are not the ones that are in view. So, I I mean, listen, twisting of Scripture for ungodly purposes and, and means. And if it was not intentional, at the very least, it was completely lazy and shameful still. We must be faithful and following the Lord. And so walk circumspectly. The next time you see a covenant, remember uh, the rainbow, that God's made a covenant with you. And you've entered into that covenant through Jesus Christ with the nation of Israel, who's yet to fully receive it, but one day they will. If you are here and you've never been washed clean before the Lord and you feel guilty and shame ashamed before him, and you don't have any sense that your iniquity has been taken away once for all, then come to Jesus and let him wash you. Father, thank you that you deal with people like us. And Lord, as we read this story, you come out of the, come out of the ark and we already have some unsavory things to be dealing with. I'm sure, Lord, your heart was broken as you saw the sin and the error in that early new world. Lord, we long for the day when you set up your kingdom and you rule with a rod of iron and that righteousness is the norm and that upon all of our hearts is written your word and nobody's saying walk with the Lord for we will all walk with the Lord. Lord, we long for the day when this world is set straight and we can see all the beauty and all the glory 
and all the peace and all the love that you've intended for us to have. So, Lord, we say as John, even so, Lord, come quickly.